Welcome to episode number 12 of Josh's Worst Nightmare Podcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we have Michael Pico. Michael Pico is a nice guy who writes about very bad things. Things with sharp teeth and voracious appetites. Things that lie in wait in dark shadows. Things that chitter and howl and scream and slither. Michael received his BA in English from Western State University of Colorado. Since then, he's contributed to a number of well-reviewed anthologies and has produced an award-winning collection of short stories, Scenes from the Carnival Lounge. His latest collection, Corpse Honey, A Banquet of Gruesome Tales, is now available on Amazon. Michael lives in the Colorado high country. He finds beauty in odd things, making people laugh and writing things that disturb his mother. You can find out stuff at michaelpico.com. Michael is also a Denver Horror Collective active member, and he has a story in the forthcoming The Jewish Book of Horror, a Jewish horror fiction anthology that I am editing. And he wrote, we won't say a lot about it, but. Um, it's a, it's a Holocaust story, so we'll just leave it at that, but it's way more than that, and I just finished putting the polishing copy edits on it, and it's pretty much ready to go. So welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare, Michael. Thank you, Josh. It's an honor to be here. Well, for folks who are or are not aware of the podcast, for every episode I invite on horror authors i leave it room for horror creators but it's been focusing on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror so that's living creatures vital processes something that's potentially relevant to their writing for this episode we are talking about the topic of the corruption of nature which sounds cool to me so michael what does that exactly mean the corruption of nature well um I, I was uh, uh, looking over some of my uh, pieces and seeing if, you know, there was a common thread through all of them that, uh, you know, that we could discuss. And um, I kept seeing the same theme kind of prop up over and over again. So um, I classify corruption of nature as one of four, um, one of four things, either nature that's reflected in the characters um, an, an amplification of a characteristic of a normal process found in nature. Um, mutations, uh, one aspect of a creature combined with another, um, and then uh, nature corrupted by a supernatural force. So uh, something happening in nature that wouldn't happen unless it was influenced by, the by a supernatural outside entity. Cool. Well, that is definitely all fertile ground. And yeah, I love all of those aspects. So can you maybe speak to how uh, some of these might be linked to some of your stories in particular without sure. giving away, don't give any spoilers away, right? Sure. Um, Unless you, you know, I first, I first ran across this, um, this kind of trope when I was uh, reading um, Stephen Donaldson's work. Um, he wrote um, the Thomas uh, Covenant uh, Chronicles uh, for those of uh, uh, your uh, listeners who are familiar with that. If you're not, I highly recommend them. They're high fantasy, but they're, they're superb. They're, they're very well written. Um, he introduces this, uh, this element called the sunbane in his stories. And it's this um, 
it's this daily occurrence where there's like a lens over the sun and it uh, brings famine and pestilence and drought and all these horrible things and inflicts those on the people of this place called the land. And I really, that, that, that trope really stuck in my head. I find that I liked the, um, the aspect of the land kind of reflecting what's, what's going on with the characters or vice versa. Um, I, I applied my hand a little bit at this. I think it, it's, it really reflects the level of mastery that I haven't quite achieved yet, but I tried my hand at this in, um, in corpse hunting when I, uh, wrote, uh, the bark man and, um, a story that I call the tin man. Uh, there's these, uh, creatures there. They're essentially a, um, they're essentially the fae, right? They're, they're fairies or they're, uh, dyads or something like that. Um, which over the centuries and over the course of, uh, of, uh, atomic war turn into these, these horrible creatures. Uh, I refer to them as Morlocks, um, you know, after HG Wells, but there that's a trope where, um, you know, the, the creatures of the land directly are directly reflected in the health of the land. And, uh, that's one of the things that, that I it's a trope that I really like. Um, it's, I found it more difficult to employ in my writing than um, I thought. Um, but I, I am, I'm working towards that in my stories. Cool. So basically evil, vengeful fairies is sort of what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the radiation of course, from the atomic, uh, uh, atomic bombs, uh, leaches into the land and as such corrupts the, the, the normally happy fairies and converts them into these, you know, kind of weird spider people called the Morlocks and the Morlocks go out and they just, you know, they, they hate, they hate men and the world of men mm -hmm. because they, they basically men have driven them from the world of the sun. So now they live underground like HG Wells's uh, creatures do. Right. Um, and I wrote about these a little bit in um, uh, The Wheel, which was released in um, uh, Murder and Machinery um, by Black Beacon Books. And um, again, I wrote about it uh, in Corpse Honey a little bit with the Bark Men and um, the Tin Men. Uh, so it kind of, there's kind of that, that thread through there where, mm -hmm. you know, the, the health of the land is reflected in the characters. Okay. So I like the dark fairy thing, just going back to that again, because I really do love elves and fairies. And I haven't really found a way to work that into biological horror, but I think you just did it. And it's a throwback to really the original fairy tales. They weren't really, really nice. They weren't flitting yes. around fields and playing lutes. They were Absolutely. stealing babies and doing yeah. some fucked up shit. <laughs> yeah, they're awful little creatures. Um, especially, you know, if you go back to like the middle ages and, um, you know, kind of look at uh, their origin stories, uh, they're awful little critters. Yeah. Um, in fact, I remark in, uh, the Barkman, uh, the character says, you know, he says, I don't see them as friends as one of the other characters do. Um, he says, I see them more as kind of forces of nature and mm -hmm. something to, you know, uh, handle with caution at, yeah. at, at, at every encounter. 
Right. Yeah. Nature can be dangerous. It can be yes. indifferent, all that. So that clearly has an environmental theme as in environmental degradation, despoilation. Would you say that you incorporate that a lot when you deal with the corruption of nature? Or is that just one facet of it? it it's just one facet. And I, you know, I want to emphasize, you know, I'm not a, an ecological horror writer. Um, I, I find that the, the trope is a nice, um, a nice vehicle and kind of a way to reflect um, the health of the land and the health of um, the environment or kind of setting the atmosphere of the environment. Um, uh, more so than I am, you know, uh, out there with a sign that says, you know, less, less nukes and, and more, more rainbows and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I do find that uh, there's a lot of facets to the whole corruption of nature that I kind of like to employ and am employing them with better and better effect as time goes on. Sure. I mean, I definitely like the ecological horror thing. I think that can be heavy handed. That can be yes. overdone. Of course, it can be a little preachy. I mean, we probably, we could use a little bit of that, but I think as long as the story is the overarching component, it can be beautifully done. I'm working on a, a novel right now that does tie in ecological horror, but it's about the story and it's about these other things. That's kind of a, an undercurrent until you get to the end and then you realize it's even, even worse than that. But so, how, what other ways do you tie this corruption of nature into your work? Well, uh, there's the amplification of a characteristic or a, a normal process that, that normally occurs in nature that I just kind of at, uh, amp up a little bit. Um, uh, I was reading, I just finished uh, Nick Cutter's uh, book, The Troop, which uh, without involving any spoilers is about a, um, a tapeworm that's just absolutely voracious and, and uh, really kind of becomes a, an alpha predator um, mm. in, this, in this book. And um, I find that, it, you know, there's enough horrible things in the natural world that, you know, with, a, with just a little bit of tweaking can just be absolutely horrifying. Yes. Um, I talk a lot about uh, the cordyceps fungus and um, for, for those listeners who are unfamiliar with that, this is uh, commonly referred to as the ant zombie fungus. So the ant comes along and gets infected by these spores. The spores actually eat into its carapace and then they, they slowly take over the ant's body and control him in such a way that he'll like climb outside of his normal, um, normal zone of operation and climb up on a leaf and then he'll, he'll like grasp the leaf or he'll grasp the, the, the branch that he's on uh, with his teeth and he'll die in that in that position but the fungus will continue to consume his body and horns these huge um, fungal spore horns will grow out of his head and uh, of course then they pop and they, they rain down their spores on the other suspecting ants unsuspecting ants so um, I really liked that that whole cordyceps uh, uh, trope, mm -hmm. I guess you could call it. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a little bit about that in uh, again in the Tin Man, uh, but I touched on it in a, in a story called Mortimer the Mouse, uh, where there's um, uh, a character in there that's kind of 
uh, infected with this, you know, kind of uh, amplified fungus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I touched on this a little bit too in um, Agents of the Seraphim, which is uh, it's a story about a guy who believes that uh, angels are talking to him all the time. And he's, he's one of these rare uh, individuals, or he believes himself to be this rare individual who uh, has to go out and kill people so that these horrible events don't happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, towards the end of the story, we, we find out that um, he's after this scientist who's looking at these uh, deep core samples from Greenland, right? And these deep core samples contain this, you know, this horrible fungus, this, this fungus that just um, is very adaptable. And when it's inhaled, it kind of turns you into a zombie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he's basically trying to stop the zombie apocalypse. And, you know, he encounters some, some moral dilemmas along the way mm-hmm. with that. But um, I really find the, the idea of, of, you know, uh, cordyceps as it infects humans to be a, a fascinating uh, trope. And again, it's, it's something that I haven't um, entirely capitalized yet on. I'm still kind of exploring that. But you see that that pop up in various various stories of mine in, in one form or another. Yeah, that stuff is fascinating and horrifying. And I think I'm going to have a conversation in the near future entirely about fungus with an author. And that's definitely going to come up again as it has in the past on this podcast. It's just one of the most horrifying things that hardly anyone knows about. And then, yeah, I love the idea of applying it to humanity. So that sounds that sounds really really great. And that's the thing about biological horror, just look into nature and you're going to get so inspired in, uh, in a dark way. I mean, I've, I love that stuff. So I'm not like, oh, this is terrible. It's ruined my day. I'm like, cool. I found this dismembered bear paw. This is the best part of my day. So yeah, I love that you're making use of that. And let's see here. So talk a little bit about mutation. So on the last episode Prior to this, I had a conversation with somebody about cancer. So that's not, I mean, it basically it is mutating cells, but mm-hmm. so that's one aspect potentially of, of mutation, I suppose you could say. What are some other aspects that you've made use of? Well, I like, um, I like combining different um, aspects of one creature with another. Cool. Um, uh, it's it serves i think uh, a slightly different purpose than than amplification of a characteristic um so i might uh combine like the elements of a tree with uh, the elements of say an octopus or um i have one story uh, that was uh, recently published it's called a gamma genesis mm-hmm. which talks about um a kind of a paint that's that's developed that has a, a biological foundation to it and the um <laughs> the the paint works great but it's it's practically indestructible and it's it's you know widely used and widely applied and then it starts to grow and nobody can get rid of it sure. and um you know like the cordyceps uh fungus this particular um organism uh, likes human hosts it's likes the you know the damn nasal passages and and uh uh lungs of of a human host and it'll grow there and of course it it suffocates you and then you know splits your skull in half 
you know, once it, once it gets large enough. Yeah. So um, that's, and you know, you find inspiration like that, you know, in nature documentaries, I'm a nature documentary junkie. Uh, the, going back to the cordyceps thing, I remember that was a, I think it was a um, David Attenborough BBC thing way back in 2008. And I heard about, you know, the zombie ant fungus. I was like, oh my God, I have to write about that. Yep. That is fabulous. Yeah. Um, uh, the, um, there was a movie called um, The Girl with All the Gifts that kind of takes that, that trope and really runs with it in a way that I haven't been able to work into my work. Um, but uh, I highly recommend it for your listeners. Um, I've heard of that. All the gifts. I think that's on my list. And uh, I almost watched it. I don't remember why I didn't end up watching it. But if you're recommending that, then I'll definitely watch that. Soon. It's, it's a slow burn. Um, you okay. don't really get the gist of what's happening until like about uh, two thirds of the way through the movie. And then it's just like, it's utterly horrifying. Sure. So suspenseful. Yeah. The term slow burn, because people keep using that for my work. I'm like, it's nothing slow is good. So I, I'm using the term. <laughs> it's suspenseful is what you mean. <laughs> there you go. Okay. No, but that's, I do love slow burn stuff. I like stuff that gradually builds rather than here's everything. Look, and it's like, oh, that's anticlimactic. So yeah, that, that sounds cool. But your use of mutation, something you like to do a lot, you combine these creatures. So in a sense, hybrid creatures, mm -hmm. beasts, mm -hmm. of of course, there's beasts that could be together. Then there's, of course, human with beasts, which is, you know, centaur, pan, satyrs, sure. then were animals, werewolves, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I was a while ago thinking like, so what, what is monster, the etymology of the word? And I have not looked this up. I still haven't. But my theory is that monster is a man and a steer because with the horns and stuff like that. So it's a combination of a man with a, a steer, a, like a male horned cow. And I don't want to look it up because I don't want it to be disproven. So that's my, <laughs> that's my theory that I just tell people I'm like, yeah, yeah. Monster comes from man steer. Like, All right. So well, you know, we that. have, we have uh, the, uh, the Grecian uh, mythology, right? The Minotaur. And you, you exactly. know, that's, that's, uh, a foundational monster story from, mm -hmm. you know, from ancient literature. So, um, and you know, the, there's, there's been articles that I've read that they talk about, um, you know, these creatures that they, that they envisioned coming from the bones of dinosaurs and, and stuff like that, like mastodons and stuff that they unearthed. Uh, like for example, the, the Cyclops, um, the, um, the bone structure of a mammoth, I think, is the one. It's either a mammoth or a whale that has like a single uh, opening, yeah, single fa uh, fascia opening in its in its skull. Yep. And they they thought, oh well, that must be where the eye goes, right. um, you know, and that's that's what spawned you know cyclopses. Or it so, could be a real cyclops. I I like to leave about one percent possibility for any of these things so sure, sure that's that's a logical explanation the whale skull i'll give you that but <laughs> we are not on this podcast we are not denouncing the possibility of cyclops existing so i just want to put that out there so. but yeah and once again take a look at nature yeah nature documentaries as the source of so much horror inspiration i think 
most people don't know much about nature. I'm somebody whose whole life has been spent out in nature and studying nature. And I'm constantly learning these new things. And if you can go big and you can go tiny, microscopic, microbial, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a wealth. And that's why I'm doing this podcast to more around this biological horror thing, because it's cool and perfect for horror. And sure, there's can be an environmental bent to it, but more just appreciating nature, the thing that we actually all are, right? We are humans and we think we're special and I have headphones on, but I'm just an ape. <laughs> I'm an ape well, in, in a forest that's just chopped up and stacked as a house. That's all. Right. I think we lose sight of some of the more um, terrible aspects of nature being at the top of the food chain like we are. I think we're kind of removed from some of the more um, base uh, aspects of of life on the planet, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the, the predatory nature of things. I think that a lot of the uh, things that I write about, you know, s- some of the monsters and some of the cryptids and stuff like that have a real predatory um, aspect to them, which I think is, is something that we don't often recognize uh, being uh, alpha predators ourselves. Um, right. Well, we sort of are, though. That's the weird thing. We are alpha predators. We can kill anything now, but we weren't always. And in certain circumstances, I mean, swimming in the ocean, we're not an alpha predator anymore, right? Unless we have our weapons, then of course, walking Mm -hmm. through a forest in Siberia, there are tigers and people still get eaten by tigers. We got crocodiles. I mean, hell, elk can kick the shit out of you if they want to, right? (laughs) Right. They're not going to eat us though. But yeah, I think we're clearly these alpha predators, but we have the fear of instilled in us of being prey. Sure. We're this weird thing. And then we overcompensate. I think a lot of our killing of nature is we overcompensate. It's like we were the, the running away deer and now we're not. And we're like, yeah, take that fucking bear. (laughs) Well, you know, that, that would be an interesting thing to explore. Um, you know, I think there's, we have in our, uh, our development, our physiology, you know, that lizard brain, that, that real fundamental thing on our, on our, um, on our uh, brainstem that, you know, as that fight or flight kind of mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it's so primal and it's so um, wrapped up in everything we do. And yeah, I think there's definitely an aspect where, you know, we um, not only um, keep nature at bay, but we try to uh, overpower it, right? Uh, you know, just to the point of just ridiculousness, um, and and subjugate it. And I, I think yes, that is a natural reaction to, you know, eight thousand years or you know seven thousand years of, of being, you know, immersed in the in the food chain like we were, and not having guns and spears and what have you to to protect ourselves walls. Yeah, well, I always say our biggest monster, I think what all of our monsters are based on is cats, because that's what killed us. The big cats were the things that hunted and killed us. And I'll probably dedicate a whole episode at some point to talking about the horror of cats, you know, little or otherwise, but but that's neither here nor there. What I wanted to ask you about, though, is the aspect of nature corrupted by supernatural, because that's the sweet spot in horror, right? Like mm-hmm. we can do biological horror where it's completely natural. I wrote a story about Toxoplasma gondii, which speaking of cats, haha, 
It's the parasite that's in cat shit. And basically yes. it can take over your brain and do very mild, weird things to some very awful things at the same time, also to, to babies. That's a whole other terrible thing. Yeah, I've heard it's uh, been linked to some forms of schizophrenia. It's been linked to all sorts of things. It's been linked to car accidents. It's been linked mm -hmm. to being sexier. What? Really? There are studies that <laughs> this one in particular, this was based on photographs of men and the ones that women looked at who said were the most uh, sexy or dominant or something like that tended to have more of them had this parasite in them who the hell knows right basically wow. the, the theory behind that which could have just been a fluke is that it makes you secrete more testosterone or something like that i don't know but there's all sorts of things that tie into that but so you can have pure biological stuff that is scary enough on its own right mm -hmm. without even any exaggeration or maybe like a little tweak like you do sometimes for some of your stuff but then you can bring this whole supernatural element and then that weds mm -hmm. everything in the horror world you can have that grounding in nature look this is a very plausible realistic thing and then like oh there's there's supernatural and that's what i end up doing in my in my work so how have you utilized that for your work so um a lot of people who read my stuff would uh, probably mistake me for uh you know a card-carrying christian um i'm very much very much an atheist but i do ply uh the the bible for a lot of ideas because there there are some horrifying things in the bible um and so you know i tend to combine you know my supernatural entity is is often you know uh judeo christian based mm -hmm. so it's you know the devil or a demon or something like that that um causes or influences some aspect of the environment or some uh something that happens to my protagonists um i talked a little bit about this in uh, the valley of the flies mm -hmm. uh where there's um this was originally called the uh, the God of Ekron, which if you're a biblical scholar, you know that Ekron was uh, one of the cities that were conquered. Um, and the God of Ekron was uh, a little um, a demon called a Bazilibub. And so Bazilibub is the Lord of the Flies. And so uh, these these characters encounter this this temple or the shrine to this to this deity and encounter just these hellish flies all through this valley hmm. um that's the title of valley of the flies um and so that's that's one aspect hmm. um cool i think i talked a little bit about this too let's see uh rapture in reverse um you know most christians are familiar with the concept of the, the rapture where you know, God takes up the, the anointed ones and, uh, you know, trans, transmutes them into heaven. Um, <clears throat> but I was, I was fascinated with that for a very long time. And someone suggested to me, they're like, you know, I wonder what would happen if uh, there was a rapture in reverse where the earth kind of sucked up all the uh, scummy people instead. Cool. And so I kind of uh, utilized that, that idea for a rapture in reverse. And I, I said it in um, my former uh, territory, which is in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, there's there's so many interesting uh, aspects of, you know, it's, it's, it's very much Bible country down there. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, 
fertile country and fertile land and you know a lot of overgrowth and a lot of uh, old southern renaissance literature tropes and, and stuff like that in there so i really had fun with that so that one has religious overtones um that, that kind of tie into uh, a supernatural entity uh influence on either the land or the characters or um or uh creatures living in the land Cool. Well, I can already picture, I'm not sure if that's the direction you took, but I know there are a lot of cave systems down there. So I can already mm -hmm. picture like literal hell. And yeah, I think the, the Judeo-Christian supernatural demon stuff. Yeah. Don't give that short shrift. That is some scary stuff. I've been researching for my latest novel and then also the Jewish book of horror, a lot of Jewish demonology. So, mm -hmm. you know, I guess originally demonology probably came Sumeria Every yes. culture has their own version of stuff like that. But then there's mm -hmm. the, the Christian exorcism kind of stuff, which is Judeo-Christian. I've been focusing just on the, the Jewish stuff, and which it's tons of overlap and a lot of it's borrowed from, of course. But going back to the source material of all these demon texts, it's there is I, I'm definitely more into demons than I used to be before. I didn't I was like, demon is just this generic thing, but realizing they're they're not. And the idea of demons, some people say they're fallen angels. Some people say, actually, they're very different than fallen angels. Mm -hmm. there, there's, a, there's a whole world there. And I think, yeah, melding that, having this aspect of grounded in physical landscape or actual, this is our body, and then having that spiritual component, right? That's That's kind of what, it seems like the maximum potential of humanity is it's being able to find that balance between our physical and spiritual life there. So I'm not suggesting that that's you, you were implying with all, all mm -hmm. your fiction there, but I think that's what unconsciously or not, that's what's in your writing, right? It's, it's the whole, the whole possibilities of humanity from head to toe, spirit, body, all that. I, you know, I I'm not sure if it was Neil Gaiman who talks a little bit about this in that, you know, the original muses, you know, all of the, the muses that were um, that were around in antiquity were, uh, you know, actually uh, later characterized as fallen angels and that, you know, they were um, they weren't necessarily evil. They were just more free thinking, mm -hmm. which, you know, as a as an atheist, I I embrace that. So, you know, uh, the word or the, the idea of a muse, you know, is, is exactly what you talked about. It's the influence of a supernatural entity or the merging of, you know, a human hand or human endeavors with, with divinity, right. uh, be it, you know, uh, divinity with a small D or divinity with a large one. That's cool. Yeah, it brings the best of both worlds, I guess, literally in that case into into play and yeah so all that stuff sounds great it definitely makes you want to take more time to read your stuff which it's already been on my list um and most recently with your excellent story that's going to be coming out in the the coming months which is yeah michael is uh definitely are, are you okay with being called literary horror or do you hate that oh no i love that that's that's i'll embrace that I mean, not, not in the sense that it's just some highfalutin concepts or anything like that. <laughs> Your stuff is legit, you know, mainstream commercial horror in terms of the appeal of the subject matter. So I'm not trying to, to, to dismiss that. But in terms of just your grasp of language and all that, it's definitely 
got a literary component and you have a really well, good thank guest. you that's that's a very high compliment josh i appreciate that well, it's very just much. it's just a fact and then your your knowledge of history as well which i noticed in your story which folks will see but clearly you extend that research to nature because you're very knowledgeable on that too and and i think that definitely shows in, in what i've seen from your stuff well i think as a writer uh, you have to be curious about everything right. and um you know the scholar in me dies very hard and i've, I've always loved researching things i've always loved finding out new things and um you know imagining things you know going off the rails is kind of entertaining my dark side so yeah. um you know the more i know the more ammunition i have towards employing that cool well michael thank you so much for coming into my nightmare but before you Honor. go we want to know what are you working on now and where can folks find your stuff so um the best place to to look for my stuff um i have a large presence on amazon of course um, but you can find most of my stuff at michaelpico.com. That's um, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, P is in Paul, I, C is in Charlie, C is in Charlie, O.com. And that, um, that gives you like a whole example of all my work and reviews and what have you. Um, these days, um, I've been working on a couple of things. Um, there's, a, there's a story that I've been writing called The Stars Are Different Here. Um, and I was kind of influenced by um, a recent uh, collection of short stories that I read. It was all vignettes of just scenics. So they're like um, characterless and they're just, you know, explorations of a scene. So you kind of, as a reader, you kind of flip through these scenes and kind of infer what happens. And I've, I've found that, that idea interesting. So I've been kind of exploring that. Cool. Um, I've, I've also been working on, you know, because I write like, four or five stories at a time. Huh. Um, I've also been writing this one for a, um, uh, it's an anthology that's that's supposed to be due around Christmas time. It's called Mooncaps. And I think one of our core uh, collective people uh, is is gonna be putting that together. Um, right. Right. But it, it's about um, Mesoamerican uh, gods and their rebirth and their um, taking over the world that's damn cool all that's cool and yeah the scene without character that's fascinating i'll have to definitely check that out yeah i'll, I'll send you the link uh, the name escapes me right now but I'll, I'll definitely send you the link that's quite a challenge to write something like that but that would be cool Indeed. to read well thanks again michael and you take care it's my pleasure quite an honor too thanks josh Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, 
You can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.